0: Welcome to Mammograms and Me from metro.co.uk. This is a new podcast series all about my campaign to find the million missing mammograms and the thousands of women walking around with undiagnosed breast cancer. Hosted by me, Dawn Butler, I was first elected in 2005 as the MP for Brent and I launched the hashtag Find the Million campaign with metro.co.uk in 2022. Because after my own diagnosis, I was shocked to find out that there was between 8,000 and 10,000 women walking around with breast cancer, and they just didn't know it. Each week, I'll be speaking to experts, doctors, and people with a deep understanding of breast cancer, and some people who are still on their journey. I'll be discussing their experiences, the inside story, and what we can all look out for. In our final episode of this series today we'll be hearing Stephanie's story and discussing the current health policy around breast cancer and I'll also give you an update on where my journey is and what's next for me. So Stephanie, welcome.
1: Hello Tom. nice to be here. (laughs) Good to see you, how are you doing? I'm great thank you.
0: It's just less than a year
1: since I had my cancer surgery and I can't quite believe how the time has flown really.
0: Does it feel like it happened, or is it just something that you think, "Well, that happened yesterday. I'm okay. I've moved on."
1: I think it feels like the latter. I feel mm. like I've moved on, In some senses it seems very recent. Mm. But in some senses, it it was my journey was very straightforward, mm-hmm. and I've seemed to have, have accustomed myself to the fact that I had cancer without necessarily being in any way traumatized or mm. afraid. And I'm I'm getting on with my life now. Less than a year on.
0: So tell me, so a year ago, so it's still Sorry to bring you back. No, there, that's fine. I don't mind back. going there. At all. No, <laughs> but because everybody's journey is different, yeah. So it's great to see you kind of looking so well, and it was like, well, it just happened, and there was no complications. And I think that's also really important because lots of women fear yes. going for a mammogram, fear what it's going to be like, fear you know all of the complicate the complications that might happen. So as a woman that's gone through it with very little complications. Talk me through it. So you you read about me and my campaign hashtag find the million and you thought. I thought it's about time I had one of these. Um, I'm 65
1: now. I was 64 when I read about it and it occurred to me I hadn't had a mammogram for decades. Wow. I'd had the last one in the bad old days when it was it was actually quite uncomfortable and yeah. I just thought, no, I'm not going to do that again.
0: Did it, so it put you off, did it?
1: It really put me right. off and I rationalised that there was no cancer of any sort in my family so I thought it wouldn't happen to me. Right. I read your story and something clicked and I right. thought, uh-oh, time to get this checked out and I'm very, very glad that I did. And my message is really... Get the mammograms if it's checked out, if it's found early. Mine was very small, it was very straightforward. It need not be a desperately awful experience. I just feel very grateful and very relieved that
0: I've had it done. And that's the key, isn't it? The key is finding it early. So, where did you have your mammogram? I had my mammogram in the
1: very, very luxurious environment. (laughs) Of a porter cabin in the car park of Neaston Tesco. <laughs> Great, really convenient. Go and buy your it's spuds. A big Tesco. It's, it's a big Tesco. <laughs> yes, go and buy your spuds and your butter and whatever, <laughs> and then go out and have um, have your mammogram afterwards. It was very convenient, very quick, very. It was remarkably unpainful too. I was expecting it to be really yeah. squashed and, and, and uncomfortable, and it's it was fine. It was not like the one I'd had back in the seventies or eighties. It was very straightforward, very easy. <sighs> So, yeah, that was really easy.
0: How long did it take?
1: Oh, ten 10 minutes, if that. Really quick. Mm.
0: Yeah. So 10 minutes, did you shop in? Yeah. Went in? Went home. And then how long did it take till the results came? Were you When you had it done, what were you thinking?
1: I was thinking, oh, Lord, I suppose I better do this. It didn't cross my mind they would find anything at all. Mm. In fact, it was um, I, my first appointment I had to cancel from a home emergency. I almost nearly didn't rebook it. I thought, oh, do I really need to
0: do this? Did you think it's a sign? You thought, Oh, it's a sign, I don't need to have I'd it done. I sort
1: of thought, Oh well, whatever. Mm. But I did rebook it. My husband pushed me to as well. Oh, great. Yeah, my husband's really been very good with all this. And he, he said, No, no, you've got to have it done. And so and so I did. I rebooked it and went back. Mm. And um, I'm just again so pleased that I did.
0: Mm. So you went so you went back, you had it done. And then,
1: then what happened? What happened after that was that um, I was recalled, but um, I wasn't able to go back quickly because I had the first part of a COVID and cancer sandwich. I I got COVID, which meant that my my recall was delayed, obviously, until I was clear to go back. Mm. Um, I then went back for my check. And I wasn't, again, I was just not worried. Mm. I have a lot of um, lumps and bumps anyway. I have... have, um, I have lipomas, which are benign tumours, and I thought there would just be another of those, Mm. nothing to worry about. So I went to the clinic in Edgware and blithely expecting nothing. And they told me then and there that they were pretty sure I had a small cancer. I could see it on the the screen Mm. um, showing up. They did a biopsy, but obviously they'd seen it before and they said, listen, we, we haven't obviously been able to do the biopsy fully, mm. but we can tell you now. We think this is a small cancer. And so they referred me straight away to University College Hospital. Mm. Um, it, was at, it was really tiny. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that was the next stage. And it was very odd because I was not expecting it and I was surprised, but I wasn't frightened. Okay. My husband freaked out. My husband was far more worried than I. Right, I had to kind of look after him a bit.
0: That's men. You know. That's a that's a thing as well. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. So you weren't frightened. No. Why was that?
1: I think because um, I worked in the NHS for most of my life. Mm. I'm not a medical prof- professional, mm. and I've worked in mental health. But because I, I have utmost respect and trust in in science and medicine, and I knew that for an early. Early cancer, Mm. the prognosis was pretty good. Mm. And there was just a feeling of once I knew it was there, I wanted it gone. It was a squatter, it was not welcome in my breast. I wanted it out.
0: I wanted eviction day to come. Right. But I wasn't frightened. Because that's really interesting because people have different views. You were just like, get it out. Do you think you would have felt that way if like it had happened in the 70s? You think do you think that you change because of your attitude to life and I think in the
1: seventies it would have been very different for a number of reasons. I think mm-hmm. the science wasn't so advanced, the medicine certainly wasn't so advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt they would have picked it up quite so quickly. Wow. Um, the, the mammogram. What was it like? Oh, the mammogram something. was horrible. It was like old-fashioned mangles that Granny mm-hmm. used to use to mm-hmm. wash, out, put, bring mm-hmm. out the washing. It was, yeah. You put your breast in that, mm-hmm. and it was really quite uncomfortable. But I think that the whole. Thinking around cancer was very different mm. 50 years ago. It was it was seen as a death sentence. It was, it was. a big C, you were going to die. Cancer meant you were going to die. Yeah. And these days I knew, having worked in, in general hospitals for a while mm. and on an oncology ward, I knew that that's not necessarily the case. I'd mm. seen some poor souls with very advanced cancer and people who died, mm. but I didn't feel that was going to happen
0: to me. That's the difference that investment makes yes. in the NHS and the attitude. And in fact, when Labour came into power in 1997, and I talk about that in my book as well, invested in the NHS and there were more women in positions of power making decisions and saying, right, okay, this is what we need to do. And as you say, it used to be, it used to be a whisper, didn't it? It'd be like, somebody's got...
1: Exactly, yeah. it was the dirty word. It yeah. was almost like a swear word. Yeah, you couldn't cancel in the whisper. Indeed, you're quite right. Would yeah. go around that, and you didn't know what to say to someone mm-hmm. if they had the diagnosis. Yeah. But yes,
0: you had it done. You had a lumpect- lumpectomy. I did. I had that done less than a year ago.
1: Less than a year ago. 8th of August last wow. year. They took it out five weeks to the day after discovering it, which was incredibly fast. Mm. And I have to hats off to the team at UCLH. Mm. My surgeon, who was a wonderful Greek lady, mm. whose name I know her by the name of Ekaterina, her mm-hmm. long Greek second name, <laughs> but um, she actually, because they had a post-COVID Backlog. Mm-hmm. She actually cancelled some leave to fit us in. Oh, wow. I got four right. days' notice of my surgery because they were really scrambling to catch up. Mm. And she was due to go home to Athens for oh, wow. a holiday. And she cancelled that to, to actually have an extra list. Isn't
0: that phenomenal?
1: I know. And I'm, I was very humbled by that. I mean, the NHS is one of the things dearest to me. I worked mm-hmm. in it for many years. And we take it for granted sometimes, I think. But really, it, the amount of care that they yeah. took and they were so quick and
0: the care was just brilliant. Yeah. Because from diagnosis to treatment should be six weeks. How do you, how do you feel? I mean, when I was in hospital
2: mm-hmm.
0: and again, I talk about this a lot and it, it's interesting kind of writing and journeying yeah. through sort of my journey. And that's partly why I wrote the books. I was recovering from cancer and, and I was, talking and speaking to these doctors and nurses and I could see how traumatized they were from COVID, but yet still wanting to help me yes. get through it. And I just I I just couldn't place it all. It was really weird for me because I'm just like, oh my gosh, you need help too. Yes. And then when I was listening to the government sort of talking about migrants coming to the country and and I yeah. just thought You guys are a piece of, you know, the government are just... Oh,
1: don't start me on this government. I mean, it's my blood pressure. I'm not sure we'll take
0: it (laughs) to be perfectly frank. Drink some water. (laughs) And one of my videos, because I did a little video diary, which I wasn't expecting to go anywhere, but on one of those videos, I got really emotional and really angry. Yes. And I was like, I cannot believe the government are doing what they're doing to the NHS. Then I couldn't believe that I was a politician sort of in that environment. Yes. And I was like, right, I need to do something about this yes. because these people are literally saving my life. Yes, And we forget that. Mm.
1: And of course, we go back to our ex-prime minister whose life was saved from COVID Mm. by them. And my goodness, how quickly that was forgotten, wasn't it?
0: But I didn't understand how he could have a near-death experience, which, you know, there are uh, scepticism if it was near death. But I still can't get over how you could come away from that. And then not invest in the NHS or invest in the doctors. I just think if somebody saves your life, if somebody's cancelled their holiday to have an extra list so they can do your operation... You feel internally grateful you about. would you would think so
1: wouldn 't you, but then I guess we stood on the doorsteps and clapped, and that 's supposed to be enough i mean it 's something I feel very passionately about, mm. and I remember just to, to jump ahead a little bit when I was awaiting my radiotherapy and there 's a mm. time scale when that 's supposed to happen and The consultant I saw, who was a wonderful woman, mm. um, Sharan, her name was and she was almost Sharan, in, where was Sharan from Sharan's from uclh and big okay. up to suranwick because she was something else and her great apologies were saying that for the first time since she'd qualified and she was a consultant been around a long time they were not meeting their radiotherapy target oh. because of covid <coughs> and because of the shortness of staff the people leaving and in fact it was only a little bit over i was very aware that my cancer had been removed and my radiotherapy was precautionary it was it mm. was to mop up anything that might be lurking around and that there were far sicker people than me there were people with head and neck cancer people mm. with secondary cancer who were also having to wait
2: mm.
1: and that made me feel absolutely heartbroken I met people in the waiting room because there were long waits one of the machines broke and oh, wow. and they had their um their backlog so you chatted to people and there were some very sick people there who again were just nothing not angry about having to wait but just mm. eternally grateful I met a young woman with advanced cervical cancer with a little boy. She was Mm. in her thirties. She was having to have internal radiotherapy and chemotherapy. And again, just absolutely grateful and the patience of
0: of patients in waiting for that. What do you think about, when you do think about the government, when you think about the NHS, when you think that you were in and out and within sort of five weeks, diagnosed, operation, out within five weeks, And recovery, what do you say to people who say, well, uh, doctors uh, don't deserve a pay rise or the waiting list we just have to accept? We don't have to accept
1: it. This is a political choice. Hmm. And let's also not blame it on poor souls who come across the water and dangerous journeys in little boats Hmm. because this is a political choice how we allocate our money Hmm. and how we raise our taxes. Hmm. And I'm very clear about that. And of course, these people deserve deserve pay Mm. i mean i think people are under the misunderstanding that all doctors are loaded and i Mm. know from having worked in the nhs they're not Mm. the consultant is reasonably well paid don't get me wrong about that Mm. but up until being consultant it's really it's really pathetic the Mm. amount of pay they get junior doctor and 30 30, whatever i mean please i mean i was an nhs manager and i was on twice that Mm. it really makes me sad and angry that people and they work all hours and that expertise and that mm. training you cannot put a value on that and you can't limit it mm. and the inference from the multimillionaires who form our current cabinet mm. that they're
0: being greedy I just find actually slightly distasteful and the the doctors what were the doctors and nurses were like did they come from all or their heritage was it from all over the world they did Less so than they used to be
1: mm. because of their old Brexit, but mm. that's but yes, but yes, mm. there was there was a, a real mix. Was so my surgeon was Greek, mm-hmm. and the radiotherapist was from the Republic of Ireland, mm-hmm. and nurses from absolutely hither and yon, mm. everywhere. And mm. again, that's something I've always valued from working in the NHS mm. is the sheer mix you get of cultures and ethnicity mm. and class and age and everything it's a real melting pot mm. and i always love that with the nhs because everyone brings their own particular experience as well as their training
0: yeah me too how did your husband <laughs> cope with the uh so he was he was fully in in yeah. the beginning then he was Damn, she had cancer. He fell apart.
1: He was fine. He, I think he was stuck on
0: Google for an awfully
1: long oh time gosh, looking up no prognosis no. Really? and all That's the rest. it's dangerous. I know, I know. But I, I said, listen, if you're going to do it, these are the websites to look at, okay. you know, look at the the, the proper ones. Okay. But I think it's always the same when it's somebody, somebody else. I mean, my right. husband has quite significant health problems himself and I mm. do the same for mm. him. You know, I look up his neurology stuff. Oh. But he... I think, was convinced that maybe I was in denial, and maybe I was, maybe I still am, and that the, the real true horror hadn't sunk in. Right. But it never did, really. And he, I think, was worried that I was going to die, mm. you know. Mm. And I try my best to reassure him, but I'm not dead. I think he's beginning to realise that <laughs> I'm not, you know, that
0: I'm actually going to get, I've got through it now. It's okay to mm. breathe. So were you in denial or were you just focused on getting through it. Like, I've got it. It's coming out. I'm going to survive. I think that was it. I think genuinely I wasn't
1: afraid. Mm. But sometimes it is quite hard just when someone would say, oh, how was it having cancer? I don't know what to say because because although I had something potentially life-threatening, I didn't feel ill at all. I mm. didn't feel rotten. I felt rotten from the
0: COVID I had at the beginning and at the end, mm. but not from the cancer itself. That's an interesting point, isn't it? It's not as though you were sick. No. It was something that was inside your body that had to be taken Indeed. out. And how was the radiotherapy? Did that make you ill or nauseous?
1: It made me tired. Right. I had um, five f- five sessions, um, five days on the chart, tr- just, just a week. Again, nothing like many people I know. I have a friend who has prostate cancer who's going through a very gruelling six weeks of it at the moment, and he's mm-hmm. walloped. Um, I was tired. But mainly afterwards, Mm. I was surprised. I was Mm. was tired. I was tired for quite a long time Mm. afterwards, but it was during the winter. It's a time when you kind of
0: hibernate anyway. And how about your friends and family and neighbours? Have you encouraged them? Have you said, Dawn had it, I had it, you need to go get checked? I am an
1: oversharer when it comes to (laughs) cancer and unashamedly so, because I think it's... um, it's really important to get that message out there. And my next door neighbours, I've been nagging them all, all along, you mm-hmm. know, because there's a couple of neighbours who are women of around my age and I'm trying to encourage them to have their mammograms. One goes all the time okay. and one of them is, is still reluctant and I'm I'm working on her. What's her reason? Her reason is partly because she's embarrassed about her body. She's a big lady and she's ashamed and embarrassed. And I mean, that's just... You know, we, we try and reassure that. But also she's scared. It's almost as if she thinks that if she goes for the mammogram that she will get cancer. I don't want to know, which is a real head in the sand, but I'm working on her.
0: What do you say to her?
1: I'm trying to say to her that if you go early mm-hmm. and it's caught early, it's a very, very simple thing. And even if they get it, even if it turns out that it's been left and it's mm-hmm. a bit a bit later on, that yes, it's it's still... Very much treatable and dealable with, rather than in five years' time, you're in a
0: really bad way. So it's mm. best to know and get it done, mm. because then you can be. It's less invasive the yes. treatment, and then you're well. I mean, even though my treatment, I had more than you had. I'm quite well now. Yes. And if I if it had been left for five years, I would be a lot sicker uh, than I am now. So telling people to go early. And what did they use? What machine did they use? Oh, I don't know what it's called. It was just a mammoth. They scan, Did
1: they? No, they. It was the. I the, the oh, said so they did. put oh, down. The, they, they did, did squash. the squash. I call it a squash. They did the squash.
0: Than, they did a squash,
1: but it wasn't as okay. squashy as the one I'd had decades ago. Yeah. It, was, it was a gentle
0: squash. It was a gentle squash. A
1: gentle squash. Not it was a hard lift, press. No, no, it was it, it was um lift and lift and gentle press right. rather than a real through the through the mangle. Yeah. It wasn't too bad at all, yeah. and I keep saying this to people. I mean, mine as well. One of the things that worries me is the encouragement to rely on self-exam, mm. because I even the surgeon couldn't feel mine manually. Mm. Yeah, she had to mine. she she had to guide it. It was yeah. the wire guided thing. She could not feel it, but I certainly couldn't. Mm. And she couldn't. Mine she couldn't had to be look. Yeah, like she it. had to look at it right on on the screen.
0: It was that that tiny. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it, it's But sometimes it doesn't manifest itself as a lump or anything like no, that. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And my worry
1: is that people will have a good good feel like mm. you're supposed to, feel nothing, say, oh, whatever. Mm. I mean, I have lumps and bumps everywhere anyway. Mm. So for me, self-exam was a no-no because mm. I couldn't tell what was what. Mm. But even if you, you, don't, you don't have that, you will not necessarily find it. So I think there's a real, it's great to encourage self-exam, but
0: people must have mammograms as well. Absolutely. So that, I mean, that's why I kind of launched the campaign, the yes. hashtag, yes. hashtag find the million. Yes. I mean, there's, a million, at least a million mammograms that haven't been conducted on women. Um, There's up to 10,000 women that are walking around with undiagnosed breast cancer. You were one of them up to last year, a year ago, you were walking around with uh, breast cancer. What, uh, What do you think we need to do next? How can we get to more women and reduce that number?
1: I would like it to be a routine question for GPs to put to women. Have you had a mammogram? Let me put it to you that why it's a good idea. I think the idea of the mobile units is brilliant and we need Mm. to wheel them out like they used to do with the COVID tests. Mm -hmm. And there was a testing place now and again would pop up in Halston High Street and the queue was really long. Mm.
0: We need to have more of that. When you went to the mobile uh, van, were there... Plenty of others behind you? Not masses. There
1: was a few of us. Right. There was a few. Um, there could have been more. Mm-hmm. And it was easy to book. You could book it online as well. Mm-hmm. It was really easy. But we need as well to remember particular older women aren't necessarily computer savvy. Yeah. So we need to I've have got ways... a big bugbear about
0: oh, digitising everything. everything. And it's like in Brent, I have a very large older population who do not have smartphones no. or computers. And actually... There's some I don't want to have computers because there's so many scams. But anyway, yes, I, I agree with
1: you. So yes, we need to make it much more accessible. We need to be going as well into different hard to, so-called hard to reach communities. I think these are better called ignored communities. Ooh, you get older I like that. older Somali women, for example, um, for whom this might not be Be something that they're aware that they're entitled to. They're easy
0: to reach if you try.
1: Oh, exactly. It's just about will, isn't it? And there are community groups out there. We need to go into places and start publicising, publicising it there, Mm. and making it easy for them to access. Maybe you know. Maybe we need to put a mobile unit down in Church Road. Mm. I know they put it in Tesco's, but Church Road would be a good place to start. There's a lot of people around there who you know particularly if we had the information in people's languages in in farsi in yeah. in somali so that people can actually understand what is necessary
0: and because you've worked in the nhs you know sort of firsthand what's needed you've seen the changes iterations of different governments come in and going and money that's wasted what would you say to the Prime Minister if you if he was here with us now? I know it's like pretty unlikely, and you know, he on holiday on a helicopter somewhere, but if he was here, what would you say to him? Well, possibly words that are not polite
1: for this <laughs> podcast, on if you ask my honest opinion. That's for the nighttime one. <laughs> I know. But I think I think that he in particular, he is so extraordinarily wealthy. And he's first of all very much out of touch. And secondly, he is quite clearly an opportunistic person who's just chasing votes at the moment, hence all the anti green stuff that he's mm-hmm. coming out with. But I would be saying to him that he needs to wake up and smell the proverbial coffee and mm-hmm. that that people are dying out there who didn't who shouldn't need to, and it should appeal to him as someone who says he's fiscally aware to understand that, in fact, if we let these women get sicker, they cost more. Mm. They cost more. Yeah. And the, you know, the treatment is more expensive. Yeah. And the, those who are working, there's the lost working hours. There's the yeah. benefits they might need if they're carers and what happens there. But actually, even if you're not the most caring person in the world, it makes economic sense to actually invest in, in preventive
0: medicine of this sort. Yeah. That's what I would say. I too. think that's key. I think yeah. that's absolutely spot on. Yeah. Like if we invest now in preventative medicine, if we invest now in keeping people well yeah. and healthy, then that saves money in the long run. It, Of course it does. you don't have chemo, you're not in hospital for a long period yep. of time. Yes, absolutely spot on. Yes, I completely. that's agree. what
1: I'd be saying to him as well as the other stuff. <laughs> as well as the other stuff that we can't I'd air. also be saying, make the most <laughs> of it, you're not going to be around much
0: longer. <laughs> Stephanie, you're like, um, you're an example of why I started the campaign, the hashtag Find the Million. Uh, and it was just, so I was so touched when I read your story. And I just think it's great to speak to you as somebody that, it's a success story. You know, it's something that, you know, cancer isn't a death sentence anymore, as we've said. And it's something that I can say, right, Stephanie did it. She read the story. She joined the campaign. She went for a mammogram, got found early, had it taken out and is living her life. Exactly. And what I hope to happen after doing this series of podcasts is just to ensure that other people, read the story, read my book, A Personal Life. Understand that they can have a mammogram. It's not that scary. It's not like the 70s. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's not like, you know, the <laughs> they're just going to clamp you. Yeah, yeah. It's a squash, yeah. but it's not like the 70s. And just go and do it. Go and have a mammogram. Yes. If it's there, find it early, get it taken out. And I just hope, I mean, my whole... Mission And the reason why I wrote the book was to build an army, an army of people, an army of people who are going to be allies, who are going to be activists, who are going to change the system, building an army of people and I'm so glad that you're an advocate for going out and getting mammograms and knocking oh. on your neighbours' doors. I'm so pleased. Oh, you're in like the neighbourhood. You're, you're, <laughs> <pest. laughs> you're the breast so pest. You're the breast pest. the breast pest, absolutely.
2: Yes. I'm I so think, pleased. You're the I breast think, pest.
1: I think so. And I'm having to be careful So I get the feeling that someone's like, oh
0: no. <laughs> I think that's perfect. We've, we've got the, the squashing. Yeah. And now we've got the breast the pest. Breast so yes, now yes. I hope that we'll get an army of breast, breast pests. pests around. Absolutely. <laughs> who who actively good breast pests, not the bad type, yeah, the yeah. good breast pests yes. that are out encouraging people to go and get a mammogram. Absolutely. And hopefully that find the missing million will just be a smaller number. Just find the missing odd one or two. Yes, hopefully so. Hopefully yes. so. Well, thank you for helping on that Well, journey. Thank you. Thank Pleasure. you for reading my story and taking action on yourself. Yes. Because I hope that others will do the same. And I hope that, you know, I hope that when they listen to this podcast, when they read the articles in the Metro, when they read my book, A Purposeful Life, that more will just go out there and and look after themselves.
1: I hope so too. And thank you too for
0: inspiring me to get mine done. Thank you. (laughs) It's a pleasure. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you all for joining me on this journey and listening to Mammograms and Me what a series that has been. It has been a fascinating journeying through each of these women's experiences, lived experiences, and hope for the future, really. And there's a number of things that has been a common thread, I suppose. Um, When we spoke to Dr. Arif, her stories about some of the myths that exists in communities like in the West Indian community and in the South Asian community and the Indian community you know things like if you have a mammogram you're going to get saggy boobs it's just not true the more we talk the longer we live i mean that's come out very clearly through this podcast series and also just with Dr Arif just how slowly things change the fact that we've had so many iterations of the iPhone, but we're, she's still writing prescriptions for very the pill that's been a, around for like 40, 50 years. So, are we really investing as much in women's health as we really should? So, episode two and Dr. Liz. Well, what was really fascinating was Dr. Liz's journey and mindset from being a doctor to being a patient so where there was things like as a doctor she didn't really believe that different types of tamoxifen will affect you differently different brands but as a patient my god yes she understood and also the operation when i talked about my operation with her and she was like i used to tell people it's a boob job and a tummy tuck and it's not to have that deep that that depth of knowledge as a doctor and then as a patient is invaluable her online presence is really so informative it's it's so vital and the fact that she spoke to me when her cancer came back a third time I Be forever grateful for Dr. Liz sharing her story. And I'm sure that our paths will cross again as we champion the progress around breast cancer and making sure that we have better outcomes. What was great about episode three and iSola was talking about what has changed in the 10 years since her diagnosis and the fact that. Aesthetics, for example, only came in one very pale pink color. And to think that as a woman of color, as a black woman, that you wouldn't want a missing part of your body in a color that that matches your skin tone is really quite shocking. But also just how much has stayed the same. And the fact is that, I mean, it's very triggering as well. And, And this is the strength of all of my guests on this podcast is phenomenal. And talking about your cancer journey isn't easy. So the strength that these women go through when they started their own charities, that means that they're going to be a constant reminder is absolutely phenomenal. So what has changed and what hasn't changed, I think was my takeaway from from Izola in, in episode three. Episode four. So the thing about breast cancer is that there's so much information out there, but you need to go to the right places to get the right information. Otherwise you're going to scare the life out of yourself and you get overwhelmed with info and some of the info that only ever talks about the bad stuff anyway. I'm so grateful to Laura Addie and Alice for coming in and talking about the services that they provide in their organizations. And obviously I've had firsthand experience of working with them and in those organizations. So Maggie's, a phenomenal place, not just for a patient, but for families. And I really found it a comfort knowing that somebody was waiting for me when I came out from having my Biopsy, and thinking that they've got a nice place to wait means that that's a less stress off of you. Breast cancer now, if it wasn't for breast cancer now, I wouldn't have got the statistics that made me sit up and think, hang on a minute, there's a missing million mammograms and there's thousands of women, maybe tens of thousands of women walking around with undiagnosed breast cancer. So this is why all of this research is so important. And Alice from Cancer Research UK talking about Maria, which is a new machine which can identify breast cancer in denser breasts, which means younger women, because younger women tend to have denser breasts and black women tend to have denser breasts. So we need to really fast forward on this Maria and start getting it rolled out. It's been over 10 years. I don't know what the delay is. I keep asking questions. I ask questions in parliament about it. And I don't know, a little bit of me really does think that when it comes to women and women's health, it's just not prioritised. And over the last 13 years, this government has done anything but prioritise women and the health of women. So it's a fight, but we will continue the fight. So episode five and the wonderful Victoria, the thing is about our bodies and our health is that there's a generation and actually my parents' generation, if you go to the doctors and they say, there's nothing wrong, you're okay. They say, thank you very much, doctor. And then they leave. I think we've moved on since then and being your own advocate is is vital being your own advocate is nobody's going to fight for you as much as you will fight for yourself and that's that's fine and i think we need to accept that we need to accept that we need to be our own advocate and when we say that our health is important that we mean it and that means other people will begin to believe it and victoria three doctors told her she was okay and she said i'm not okay there's something wrong with my left breast and it was found that she had breast cancer. And so don't feel embarrassed about advocating for you. Don't feel embarrassed about saying, no, I don't think so, doctor. I think there's something wrong. And, and I tell you what else actually comes to mind. Working class. the Working class, are not really the ones that are pushy. Middle class, they are very pushy, like pushy parents, etc., pushy when you go to the doctors. But but the working class often feel inferior, often feel like, oh, I can't say that, or I'm stupid, or I speak with an accent, or it doesn't matter. Advocate for yourself. Know your body. If something's different in your body, you know it. Advocate for yourself. That's got to be the lesson there. Just listening to Stephanie in our last episode, episode six, Stephanie went for a mammogram because of my campaign to find the million missing mammogram. And I'm grateful for Stephanie for telling her story, for being a breast pest in a good way. And for making sure that others are also going for their mammograms and getting tested and getting their boobies squeezed. And it's okay. Stephanie talked about her doctor cancelling her holiday to, to do her operation. Now, to me, that highlights the care and the compassion of the doctor to make that sacrifice. But also the fact That our NHS is not safe. It's not safe under this Tory government. Doctors are leaving in their droves. We have a shortage of doctors. We have an NHS that is seriously underfunded, seriously underfunded. And if it wasn't for the goodwill, the compassion, and the dedication of our doctors and nurses, our NHS would crumble. And we would do good to remember that. We would do, be good to remember that it's not surviving because it's getting the investment that's needed. It's surviving because the people in it care. Thanking everybody, for listening to Mammograms and Me. We need to be proactive in what happens next. We need to ensure that our voices are heard loud and clear. Because still, probably a million missing mammograms because the list grows longer. And there's still thousands and thousands and thousands of women who could be saved from breast cancer, who could have their breast cancer found early and so have less invasive treatment. So if you're moved at all by anything you've heard in these podcasts, and the episodes, then please do your bit. Have your mammogram, tell a neighbour, write to your MP, write to the government and let's advocate together. This podcast was produced by Pineapple Audio Production. Thanks again for listening.